Welcome to the Grove Community Church Worship Podcast. We're a faith community seeking to change lives, change our community, and change the world. Here's this week's message. We hope you enjoy it. The hard reset. You actually prayed for it. If you've ever had to call IT, what's the first thing IT tells you to do? To to restart, right? And they tell you to unplug it and to count to 20 and then to plug it back in and hit restart. A hard restart. We all would like a hard restart. And the truth is that we can laugh about 2020 or look back on it in despair, but it's not just 2020, is it? I mean, there are many times throughout our lives where it's just time to hit a hard restart, to unplug it, to plug it back in, count to 20, plug it back in, and to start afresh, to start new. Now, what's great is within the Christian calendar, we have these kind of natural seasons built in, but we also have it built in into our weekly calendar, or at least you should. God wired us for hard resets. It's important that we take time to unplug, to reconnect and reboot so that we can run effectively, efficiently, like we were created to run. Now, we have this in, built into our calendar, but we often don't take advantage of it. I often don't take advantage of these natural built-in rhythms. But one of the things that's beautiful about the Jewish culture that Jesus lived in, it was a natural part of everything they did. There were feasts that were celebrated every year. There was Shabbat that happened every week. In fact, if you go to Israel now, who's been to Israel? I know a couple of you have. All right, so if you go to Israel now, when the sun goes down on Saturday, what happened? All right, on whatever day it goes down, their days and nights, their nights become come before the days. It's, it's different. But when Sabbath hits, the evening, the sun goes down, what happens? Everything shuts down. Like we were in a hotel room, you can't get hotel room service. Like, sorry, you're out of shampoo, you got to wait today. I mean, not that it worried, much worried for me. I mean, I didn't have to worry about that. Uh, but if, if you need a new towel, oh well, you got to wait today. Everything shuts down. And that's still the case. One of the beautiful things about how God has wired us and how our calendar falls is that we have these natural breaks to take a step back, to hit reboot, to refresh, to do a hard reset, whatever you want to say, and to start over running more efficiently. Now, I want you to to ask this question of yourself honestly. Do you do that? One of the problems that we have with our culture and one of the blessings in 2020 is that we don't slow down to take advantage of those relationships. That we don't, as you said, reprioritize mom and get the clutter out. We just take on more. We're going to look at a passage today 
And it follows, it's, it's a continuation of the birth narrative of Jesus. And we're going to look at this story and ask the question, what's it teach us about new beginnings, about reset, about getting our lives in sync with how we're supposed to be in sync? So if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke 2. We're going to look at verses 21 through 24. These are verses that might be familiar to you. There are verses that, um, that uh, we've done sermons on in the past here following Christmas. If you read the Christmas story at all this season, you probably came across this passage. But it's Luke 2, verse 21 through 24. Now let me stop and say this in the structure of this. Some of you guys have verse 21 in your Bible will be in a separate section than the rest of it. I don't think that's good. Understand that those section breaks in your Bible aren't really there. In the original text, those don't exist. This is what people, North Americans say, hey, this is the breaking point here, so let's break it here. I don't think it does that. I think here, verse 21 very much is a part of verse 22 through 24. However, verse 21 is probably redacted from the original story, which means the narrator is adding this. Whoever wrote Luke, who we think we know who wrote Luke, but Luke, whoever wrote Luke, said, okay, I'm going to kind of put a heading here. So verse 21 kind of tells you what this next section is about. And at the end of eight days, this is right after Jesus has been born. At the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. So this is kind of what was the typical flow, the natural progression in their culture. It was a progression to hit a hard reset, to start over. It was a new beginning. It was the beginning of a life. And when a boy was born, it was different for girls, but this is in Leviticus 12 if you want to go and have just some really fascinating reading no, that's not true. Leviticus is not fascinating. However, if you are an insomniac, it might help. All right? So, at the end of eight days, you were supposed to go and have the, the child circumcised, the boy. So, it was seven days. Now, what's important about the eighth day? What is it? It's the mark of what? So, you have seven days. What is seven days? A week. Good, good. It's a week. So day eight then is the beginning of a new week. Very good. All right. So this is the flow of how the Jewish calendar worked. When a child was born, there was a pause. A natural built-in pause. A time for mother and child, a time for mother, father, and child to spend with the baby. It was also a time of purification. Now, we're not going to go into the gory details of that, but it was a time of purification. And so for seven days, there was a complete, there was a complete break. It was a week, and on the eighth day, a new week. And so we've left this week of birth behind, and now we're going into a new week, which is new life. This is where the life really begins. And a circumcision is we're marking this child as God's servant. This is one of God's people. 
And so they would go in as a dedication, they would circumcise, and the naming of the child probably happened before that, but it also happened legally on the eighth day. On the eighth day, when he legally named Jesus Jesus, then, then Joseph became his legal father. So there's a lot going on here. The beginning of a new week, a fresh start. The other thing that's interesting here is that they took this serious. Now, this would not have been an easy journey. Can you imagine seven days post-birth? Women, post-birth, seven days, you've had no hospital stay. You've had no drugs to help you with the birth. You've had absolute, total natural birth. You got that, right? Seven days later, you're journeying. Journeying? Journey? How do you say that? Journeying. That just doesn't sound right, Judith Ann. She's, uh, traveled. Thanks, yes. They traveled, yes. That's it. But it was like a journey, right? I mean, it was a, it was, it was a hard journey. Seven, and they, didn't, they didn't have a car to get into. They didn't have one of those blow-up rings that you set on ladies in the car, right? None of that. It was, you either walking or you're on the back of a donkey. Have you ever ridden the back of a donkey before? This was not just a, hey, let's go to the doctor, get this thing handled, and, you know, we're going to uh, have it all happen. I mean, this was a, an ordeal. So eight days, the beginning of a new work, Week they go and he's circumcised in his name. All right. So then they journey in verse 20 in verse 22. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. So the first journey was a journey within the city to either their synagogue or they had someone that um, that would uh, that would help them with the circumcision. Right. That was part of the that was part of what the rabbis did. And so that, that took place, or not the rabbis, I'm sorry, it was part of what the priests did. And so that takes place, and now they're taking a long journey to Jerusalem. Now, according to the law of Moses, and you can read it, this uh, in, in Leviticus and also in Exodus, there's a part of this that falls under ex, uh, the law in Exodus. They traveled up to Jerusalem to present him to the to the Lord, but the, the time of purification for a son was 40 days. The time of purification for a girl was 80. So 40 days, after 40 days, so let's get the calendar right. Jesus is born seven days, on the eighth day circumcised, named. Then 33 days later after that, 32 days later after that, they traveled to Jerusalem. And why? They want to present him to the Lord. Verse 20. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So this is an action of, if we take all of this in scope, so there is a, um, 
it starts with verse 22, a purification. Then there is a, a I'm sorry, verse 21. There is circumcision. Then there's naming. Then there's purification. Then there's a presentation. And then there's a sacrifice. And that's the flow of what happens for Jesus as an infant. Now, a couple of things that are important to note, and we'll come back to some specific things you know, need to know historically. But first off, what's incredible about this is that Joseph and Mary did everything they were expected to do according to what their faith said, which tells us they were faithful adherents to their faith. They were faithful adherents to the Jewish faith. They did everything that they were supposed to do because it meant something deep to them. Now, the historical things you need to know is that every male who was first opened the room was called, to be called holy to the Lord was to be dedicated to the Lord. Now, you could do one of two things for a male that was the first born. You could dedicate him to the Lord and then pay to get him out of service from the temple. So you could say, okay, I'm going to dedicate my son to the Lord. I'm going to present him, but I'm also going to pay him out of service so that he's, I'm redeeming him. I'm purchasing him from serving in the temple and, 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 and the synagogue, and I'm going to let him come and be a part of my family, and he's going to be a part of what we do. He's not going to be dedicated and set aside just for temple service or for synagogue service. Or you presented them and offered them for service. And if they were offered for service, they were offered as a holy servant. And so that's what's going on here. Jesus was taken to the temple, and he was presented as a holy servant. Now here's what's interesting about this, if you haven't connected these dots together yet. For seven days, and then another 33 days, Mary was considered what? Huh? Unclean. And if you were considered unclean in the culture, you couldn't touch or be around anything dedicated for the service of the Lord, and you couldn't touch or be around anything that was holy. Do you see the irony here? That even in this time of impurity according to the Jewish faith, she held the most holy being that ever stepped into our world. In her impurity, the Christ child was cared for and handled and loved. Now there's a lot there that we don't have time to dive deep into, but you understand how significant that is, right? So when he shows up to the temple, which is holy now, Jesus, and I've never caught this before, there's two, there's two parts of this. The first part is he, is he is taking over the holiness from the temple. It's, it's mind-blowing when, when you think about it. So he shows up, his mom is, is going through this purification, they come to dedicate him, and he is the holy one. The only holy place at that time was the temple, and the holy of holies was the presence of God. And then Jesus shows up, and he's offered as the holy child for service of God, and now he is taking the holiness from the temple, and it's resting on him. 
And we know this because all of Luke, is cons- it, 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 he constantly shows how Jesus is replacing the temple all throughout, his, all throughout his, his book. He's showing how Jesus takes the place of the temple. God's presence is manifest in Jesus. It's not at the temple. God's sacrifice is manifested in Jesus, not at the temple. God's holiness is manifested in Christ, not at the temple. Jesus is taking the place of the temple. And so when he was dedicated wholly to the Lord, he is taking the place of the temple, which is significant for a lot of reasons. Again, we don't have time to get into those. But then it goes on to say, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in, in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, you may or may not have heard that the actual sacrifice was one of two. You could either, what you were supposed to do is sacrifice one of these birds and then also a lamb. But if you couldn't afford the lamb, what did you do? You did two birds. And so obviously, Jesus comes from a family that doesn't have the means to afford a sacrificial lamb. Isn't that ironic? The one who would become the final lamb, the lamb of God, his parents couldn't afford a lamb. But maybe it's a whisper that you don't need a lamb because you've already got one. But also, and I never caught this before, the offering of two doves or two young pigeons was what you had to do if you were a Nazarite set aside for the service of the Lord. And so in this one sacrifice, we see three things that I think are very important. The first is that Jesus comes from a very simple family who was probably on the poor spectrum. Secondly, Jesus comes and his parents offer these two birds, but the thing is, is they don't need a lamb because he is the lamb. And the third thing is, is that it was also the same sacrifice for someone who's being set apart for the service of the Lord. So all of this is screaming and all the symbolism that, look, there is a new beginning. The old temple is gone, the new has come. The holiness that only resided in the temple is now in Christ. The sacrifice that you had to do at the temple is now in the Lamb of God. And He is set set apart for starting a new beginning on the new day after 40 days. Wow, how significant is that? After 40 days, there is a new beginning. I think this is a fascinating passage for all of these reasons and more. Again, a lot of which we don't have time to get into with any depth. So what does this mean for us, though, as we stand on the precipice of a new year, as we put 2020 in the rearview mirror, and we look forward to something different in 2021? How does this new beginning of Christ's life impact us? I think there's a few things that I think are takeaways for us. First off, Jesus' parents were dedicated to doing the simple things that set themselves and their son up for service of the Lord. Are you doing the simple things in your life to set yourself up for service of the Lord? 
are you doing things that put yourself in the right position to be used by God? Do you see your job as an opportunity not to make money only, but to serve God? Do you see your time as a family not only to laugh and and eat and open presents, but to, to serve God? I think that's the first thing that we have to stop and think about. And, and if not, what are you going to do different in the new year to get there? What things do you need to do differently for you and your family to set yourself up for service of the Lord? Understand that there are two parts at work here. God's holiness and His power and His Holy Spirit moving, but then it's human obedience. What are you doing to set yourself up for the service of the Lord? The second thing that I think is a takeaway is are you listening to and falling into the flow and the rhythm that God has set up for us naturally? Are you taking time to hit the hard reset? Are you taking time to live in a flow? And if you're not, then this new year, make it a point to set up time for you, daily time for you, where you can be alone with the Lord and just quiet with no distractions, phone down, phone off, everything. Just a moment for you. And I know right now, fix, that's almost impossible with the little one, but are you making time for you daily? Secondly, weekly, are you setting time aside to listen to God, to rest Eugene Peterson, who's a phenomenal um, uh, author who's written a lot of books on ministry and, uh, and actually wrote the message, if you have the message Bible. Eugene Peterson once said that Sabbath is rest, worship, and play. Are you taking time to rest, to worship, and to play? And what he means by play is play energizes you. Having something that you enjoy doing, recreation. Do you know what the word recreation means? Stephen, what does the root word for recreation? Exactly, create. It's to recreate. Recreation. Recreation helps you recreate, re-energize, reboot who you are. So Eugene Peterson, I think, is spot on when he says that Sabbath is worship, rest, and play. Are you creating a rhythm for that in your life? I know during COVID, one time, Christian, I hope you don't mind me saying this, but you posted on social media, so I don't really care if you mind or not. <laughs> I remember you, you uh, had gone kayaking, and you, and you had some pictures, and it was on a Sunday, and you talked about how, you know, you remember this post? And you talk, maybe you don't, uh, you talked about how it was, a, it was a time of rest and reconnecting. I mean, that's a perfect example. So the first thing I think this teaches us is, are we setting ourselves up to be used by God and for His service? The second thing is, are you taking time for rest? Are you taking a daily time for rest in connection with God? Are you taking a Sabbath? Or are you building retreat into your life? Are you taking time to vacation and just be you? And to do nothing. And I'm not talking about just Netflix binging. I mean, because... Uh, uh. 
or YouTube rabbit holing or gaming all day. That's not what I'm talking about, right? Are you creating time to retreat and to rest <clears throat> a week a year, two weeks a year, whatever it is, are you taking that time? I think that we see from this story that they were living in the flow and the natural rhythm that God had set up for them. And then the last thing, let's go through them again. Are you setting yourself up to be used by God? Are you taking the flow and the rhythm? And are you allowing Christ to be the center of everything? In this story, Christ is at the center even though he is not really acting and doing anything. Christ is at the center. Christ is at the center of the story. And he's dedicated one for service of God. Christ is at the center of the story and everything, every movement in the story revolves around the Christ child, every movement in the story. Are you letting him be the center of all you do? So what does that look like? And this is the challenge. For Are you allowing Christ to be the center of your finances? Are you allowing him to be the center of your calendar? Are you allowing him to be the center of your family time? Are you allowing him to be the center of your work life? Are you allowing Jesus to be over everything? And I mean everything. Joseph and Mary were special, not because they were powerful and wealthy, but because they simply obeyed. Because they set themselves up to be used by God. Because they lived in the flow of the natural rhythms that God had created. And because they let the Christ all that they did. They knew he was special. And at this point, he had not proven that he was special. So how much more this side of the resurrection? How much more? How much more this side of the cross and this side of the resurrection should we understand these things and put them into play? Some of you got new technology this week. Some of you are stuck with old technology, and if you're stuck with the old, that's okay. Sometimes what you need to do is go and just hit reboot. I hope this message was meaningful and powerful to you, but I also hope that it was challenging. And as always, don't just hear it, put it into action. Until next week, have a great one.